Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the Marijuana Nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Friday, June 17th, 2016 and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world Welcome to the weekend, everybody We made it the last weekend of spring. We've got summer coming up this Monday and all sorts of amazing things happening throughout the cannabis community. This Monday in Oakland, California, the National Cannabis Industry Association is putting on its uh, Cannabis Business Expo. And it's all up in the air right now as to whether or not I'll be there. It looks like I might have a place to stay. Now I just got to find a way to get there and... I might have the money to do it. I don't know. It's looking close. I got one check-in today. If we get the other check-in, maybe I'll be in Oakland this weekend, or this week, I should say, this following week. Uh, But uh, we'll keep you posted, and even if we don't make it down there, we'll see if we can get some reports from what's happening at the National Cannabis Industry Association. And folks, welcome to what is a great Friday for me today, because every now and then, you get the feeling, you get some sort of response that lets you know that the work you're doing uh, is having an impact. And today is one of those days. Coming up in our Behind the Headlines segment, I get to break for you some fantastic news about Project SAM. You know Project SAM, the Smart Approaches to Marijuana, or as I like to call it, Project Samuel, Smart Approaches to Marijuana Use Except Legalization. And as Chris Goldstein likes to say, SMART stands for Stoners Must All Receive Treatment. Uh, Anyway, the anti-pot group suffered a blow out here in the state of Oregon. Uh, It's kind of been unfolding all week. I kind of got to break some of the news that started this, and today I get to break the news that ends this. So stay tuned for that coming up right after our Cannabis Radio News. Also today in Drug War Data Mining, we're going to go back to the Substance Abuse Mental Health Data Archives and give you a look at the aging demographics of the monthly marijuana using population you may have heard some stories out there on the wires about how seniors are the fastest growing demographic of marijuana consumers we're going to take a look at just the last couple of years of marijuana legalization to see what has happened as far as the use of marijuana who's using it more who's using it less and it's all good news for us also coming up on the show today we're going to do some government at work Ethan Nadelman, the executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance, was testifying to the uh, Senate Homeland Security Committee yesterday, and we've got the audio of his testimony. We're going to play that in Government at Work, and then in Hour 2 in Toker Talk Radio, I'll play you some of the testimony from the anti-pot people that followed him, and uh, we'll probably have our finger on the pause button to debunk the reefer madness uh, in real time, so we'll have some fun in Hour 2 with that. Also coming up at the end of this hour one, I've got time for a radical rant. We're going to take a look at Mark A.R. Kleiman, the man whose own name is a self-recursive acronym. Mark A.R. Kleiman 
and he's the head of Botech, which is the consulting firm that the state of Washington spent millions of taxpayer dollars on to get consulting on how to run the marijuana market. And we're going to show you how Mark Kleiman did not learn the lessons of the Soviet economy. <laughs> you younger people, the Soviets, that was uh, Russia back in the day. <laughs> we used to have a Cold War against these guys. Uh, USSR, ring a bell? Anyway, we're going to talk about that and how Mark Kleiman has created Washington in the image of the worst possible marijuana market. All that's coming up right after our Cannabis Radio News and the headlines today. We've got good news out of Congress in Washington, bad news out of Denver, Colorado, good news out of Lansing, Michigan, bad news out of San Diego, and terrible news out of Beijing, China. It's all coming up next on the Russ Belville Show. This is the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the third annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. The most influential business event in the marijuana industry returns for three days in Oakland, California. Join your fellow industry leaders and policy influencers June 20th through 22nd for an in-depth educational experience and network with more than 3,000 cannabis professionals. The 2016 Cannabis Business Summit and Expo will feature keynote presentations from California Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom and Numi Organic Tea CEO Ahmed Rahim giving you insight into cutting-edge policy discussions and the most innovative business practices. All this plus the most comprehensive expo floor in the industry. The Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 20th through 22nd in Oakland. Don't miss out. Register right now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and save 15% off registration using promo code RADIO15. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com, promo code RADIO15. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old man smells. And yeah. it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay, maybe you're high too. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, June 17th, 2016. Washington, D.C. Banking services for legal marijuana businesses came one step closer to becoming a reality as the Senate Appropriations Committee on Thursday passed the Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Bill. The bill contained an amendment from Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley and Washington Senator Patty Murray to allow marijuana businesses access to banking services. The amendment, which passed 16 to 14, would prevent federal banking regulators from prohibiting, penalizing, or discouraging a bank from providing financial services to a legitimate state-sanctioned and regulated marijuana business. It now heads to the full Senate, and if it passes there, it must be reconciled with the House version of the bill. Denver, Colorado, pot skeptics have been cleared to start work on the most sweeping effort yet to attack Colorado's marijuana legalization. A ballot measure cleared for petitioning Thursday by the Colorado Supreme Court would set new potency and packaging limits on recreational marijuana. Under the proposal, packaging would have to include warnings that marijuana carries a risk of, quote, permanent loss of brain abilities, end quote. The measure also includes a new potency limit, meaning that popular forms of marijuana, such as vape pens and some edibles, would be illegal. Supporters of the measure say that most marijuana sold today is too strong and that current warning labels are inadequate. Marijuana industry attorneys say the measure would ban 80% of marijuana products sold today. The court's ruling clears the supporters to start collecting about 98,000 signatures to put the question on ballots. Signatures are due August 8th. Denver, Colorado. Last week, Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper signed a bill that bans the manufacture and sale of marijuana-infused gummy products shaped like humans, animals, or fruit. The new law goes into effect July 1st and is aimed at preventing the accidental ingestion of medicated gummies by children. However, the new law does still allow for the production of gummies in geometric shapes, such as stars, discs, lozenges, or even pot-leaf-shaped. Activists question whether the cosmetic changes will make much difference, with both anti-pot and pro-pot observers noting that an unsupervised child is just as likely to eat a gummy star as a gummy bear. Lansing, Michigan. Activists who were rebuffed in their attempt to place marijuana legalization on the ballot are suing the state of Michigan over a signature-gathering requirement that has passed to thwart their effort. Am I Legalized, the group that spent $1 million collecting hundreds of thousands of signatures, has named Michigan Secretary of State Ruth Johnson, the state elections director Christopher Thomas, and the state board of canvassers as defendants in the suit. The group contends a new requirement to collect signatures within a 180-day window improperly disenfranchised the thousands who signed the petition without providing an efficient way to challenge their disqualification. The suit asks that the MI legalized proposal be placed on the ballot and the 180-day rule be clarified. San Diego, California. A San Diego councilman is unveiling a proposed municipal ballot measure to implement an 8% tax on marijuana sales that could be adjusted upward to 15%. Councilman Mark Kersey says the tax 
would cover the cost of code enforcement and law enforcement with respect to marijuana commerce. Kersey's proposal applies to all marijuana sales, medical and recreational. However, if the Adult Use of Marijuana Act passes this November, it ends the taxation of medical marijuana statewide, leaving San Diego and other cities with recreational taxes only. But AUMA also establishes a statewide recreational marijuana tax of 15%. And with an 8% state sales tax, that means marijuana could end up with overall taxes in San Diego of 31 to 38%. Beijing, China. Taiwan says an American man killed himself by slashing his neck with a scissor blade inside a courtroom after being given a four-year sentence on drugs charges. 41-year-old Tyrell Martin Marhenka was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead Thursday. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, June 17, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look back at the tragic events of this last Sunday, the massacre in Orlando, Florida at the Pulse nightclub. And how it relates to us right here in the state of Oregon and our uh, efforts to continue the legalization of marijuana. This uh, tragedy in Orlando was brought up by the head of Project Sam's state affiliate here in Oregon, known as Sam Oregon. And today we get to break the news that Smart Approaches to Marijuana, the anti-legalization group, 
headed by Kevin Sabet, known as Project Sam, has announced the resignation of their leader of their Oregon Project Sam affiliate over those comments he made comparing the legalization of marijuana to the horrific massacre in Orlando that killed 49 and wounded 53. As we reported, this last Sunday, as the world was reacting to the news of the slaughter that took place at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, the Twitter account for Sam Oregon was trolling the comments of Oregon Congressman Earl Blumenauer, my congressman. And the original comment from Congressman Blumenauer was, words cannot express my sorrow, disgusted by this horrific act on the LGBT community and cowardice of those who won't pass sensible gun laws. In response to Blumenauer's statement of disgust over the shooting and the cowardice of elected officials who won't pass sensible gun laws, Sam Oregon called out the cowardice of elected officials who, quote, refuse to stand up against the marijuana industry, end quote. Sam Oregon also chided Blumenauer for supporting one, quote, threat to public health and safety, while also speaking to condemn another. His actual quote was, you can't support one threat to public health, public safety, and then condemn another. You have failed this state. Making the direct comparison that the uh, proliferation of weapons of mass destruction and high-capacity magazines and, and nut jobs that shoot up uh, a gay club is a threat to public health and safety like the threat to public health and safety of legalizing marijuana in Oregon. Now, Representative Blumenauer tweeted back to that, that it was a shameful and disgusting thing he'd said, and that there's 32,000 gun deaths in America and zero deaths from marijuana, but the die was cast. And Philbrick, uh, the, the guy who uh, heads up uh, Sam Oregon, his name is Randy Philbrick, he's a, na- a native here of Portland, Oregon, um, didn't back down. He, he left the comments up on his Twitter feed. Even as Tom Angel, Shailene Title, myself, uh, many other drug reformers who follow those sorts of accounts kept calling him out saying, you want to, you know, think about this tweet you just put up. And we brought it to the attention of the national organization of Project Sam, uh, Kevin Sabet, the leader there, although he wouldn't get it from me or Tom Angel because he I think he blocks the two of us, but he eventually got word. Because today, the leader of Sam Oregon, Randy Philbrick, resigned from the anti-marijuana group effective immediately. The text of his resignation letter reads, oh, let's see if I can get that up here. I deeply regret my tweet this week implying any comparison between the horrible Orlando massacre and the issue of marijuana. My poor choice of words were construed as something I did not intend. Sam never sanctioned or endorsed my tweet and the opinions it expressed, and I also apologize to Sam for making comments that are not consistent with the mission or values of the organization. Effective immediately, I am stepping down from any role at Sam Oregon. But even in his resignation, he cannot take responsibility for the comments that he made, saying that they were misconstrued. These comments were not misconstrued, Mr. Philbrick. You compared the, a, sla, a gun massacre 
to legalization of marijuana. Nobody misconstrued anything. And if you want to read the exact conversations we had on Twitter, he's deleted the tweets since then, but they're still available up on my reporting on marijuanapolitics.com. Oh, I could have smoked that pot. All right, folks, it's 20 after the hour. 420 in the mountain time zone, so happy 420 to all our Rocky Mountain friends. We're going to take a break, pay some of the bills. We'll be back in two minutes with some drug war data mining. We're going to take a look at the aging demographics of marijuana legalization. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. The cannabis business industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. Author Catherine Hiller and her great new book, Just Say Yes, Marijuana Memoir. So I love the way you use time in the memoir. I started at the present time and I described a visit to my dealer. And then I would go backward in time so that every chapter starts a little bit earlier. I do not feel that marijuana has in any way harmed my life. It certainly hasn't led me to the streets. It's led me to a more joyful life experience. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Welcome back, everybody. And in the Drug War Data Mines today, we're going to take a look 
once again at the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration and their online data files. You can find them at samsa.gov slash data. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov slash data. And they got all sorts of great files out there. You can look at the National Survey on Drug Use and Health a series that goes back to the uh, 90s, I believe, that asks people of all ages about their drug use and their mental health issues. The Drug Abuse Warning Network, which uh, is a survey of emergency rooms and how often they deal with uh, drug-related encounters. The Treatment Episode Data Set, both admissions and discharges, which all have to do with uh, rehabs. The Survey of Substance Abuse Treatment Services, which is how available rehabs are, mental health services surveys, and uh, more. There's plenty of data out there. Today, we're taking a look at the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, which on an annual basis, again, asks people of all ages about their drug use and mental health. And uh, this is data that is accurate up to 2014. Uh, We should see the 2015 data set come out uh, sometime this fall. So... The question I wanted to solve today with the data archive is that of the aging of the marijuana legalization demographic. For a long time, we've had our opponents tell us that uh, marijuana legalization was going to lead to more use by the children, that uh, it would send the wrong message to the children, it would create more access for the children, we'd have more teens using marijuana and suffering all the ill effects of doing so. So I thought it would be illustrative to take a look at the data from 2012 and compare it to the data from 2014. Now, this is national-level data, and uh, there's substate-level data, but the substate data isn't uh, available up through 2014. So we're going to look at this nationally. But we wanted to see what is the effect of marijuana legalization. And by this point, we'd only have two states that are legalized through the 2014 data, so it would only reflect Colorado and Washington, which uh, between them I think have about 14 million people or so, so it's not a huge impact on uh, the rest of the United States, but I still think it's interesting to take a look at. Now, in the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, uh, when you get to it, you can find a link that says SDA. The SDA allows you to do online data analysis. You can plug in variables from the reports, both uh, coded variables and logical variables, which just means there's a lot of different configurations you can come up with. And by if once you start to learn how the variables work, you can create all sorts of interesting tables. So I've created a table using two variables. One is called MRJMON, M-O-N, and it stands for the monthly use of marijuana. So it's a yes or no variable. A zero for no, you didn't use marijuana. A one for yes, you did use marijuana. Then there's another variable called cat ag six, C-A-T-A-G six. And it means category age recoded with six levels. Now, the six levels of ages they've got here are 12 to 17, 18 to 25. Let's, let's call it like this. 12 to 17, those are our teens. Should not be smoking pot. 18 to 25, your college age, about half of them are of age, half of them below age. But I I think if you're 18, you ought to be able to smoke pot. So there's our uh, college age. Our young adults, age 26 to 34, our middle-aged people, 35 to 49, our seniors, 50 to 64, and our retirees, age 65 or older. So when we look at this data for 2012, we find 
that 7.3% of teens were smoking pot monthly. It was 1.8 million of them. Of the retirees, it was 0.9%, 384,000 of them. And of the seniors, it was 4.5% or about 2.7 million. Now, when we fast forward two years to the 2014 information, we find that there's no more kids that are smoking pot than were before. It's still about 1.8 million of them, even though there's probably a greater population of them at this point. It's the, the, the rate is from 7.3 to 7.4, a statistically insignificant change. There's still 1.8 million teenagers smoking pot monthly. But when we look at the 65 and older, the seniors, it has gone up from 0.9 to 1.4. It's increased by half. They've gone from 384,000 to 636,000. When we look at the seniors, ages 50 to 64, we now have 3.6, almost 3.7 million, when just two years ago there was 2.7 million. And again, part of that is the aging of the baby boomer demographic bubble, but in rate, it has gone up as well. It has gone up uh, with the uh, seniors from 4.5% of the population to 5.9% of their population. So what we found here is contrary to the fevered imaginations of the prohibitionists, the legalization of marijuana has done nothing to the teenage use. It stayed the same. And it's created a boom among people age 50 and older just in the past two years. Now, I think a lot of what that has to do with is the fact that the teenagers have always had their access. Under prohibition, the teenagers have always known the high school weed dealer. They've always known where they could get some weed. But for the people 50 and older with jobs and, and, and families and wealth and freedom to have to protect the notion of getting involved in a black market transaction is not as appealing now that there are legal outlets for people 50 and older to be able to get marijuana they're taking advantage of it exactly as we had predicted all right stay tuned when we come back it's government at work drug policy alliances ethan nadelman testifying to a senate committee This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks. 
even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. Reforming America's marijuana prohibition laws takes education, lobbying, and voting. From Washington, D.C. to your state capitol to your city hall, marijuana law reform involves all levels of civic life. Learn how you can make your impact with elected officials as we take a look at our government at work. Today at Government at Work, we're going to look at the federal level where the Senate Homeland Security Committee heard testimony from four people about the war on drugs. To pro, to con, I guess you would say. And we're going to give you one of the pros. And I mean pro as in supporter and pro as in professional. It's the head of the Drug Policy Alliance, Dr. Ethan Nadelman, who uh, in my estimation is one of two or three of the top speakers on our issue. We'll give you his testimony here and then some anti-testimony in hour two. Our next witness is Dr. Ethan Nadelman. Dr. Nadelman is the founder and executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance, the leading organization in the U.S. promoting alternatives to the war on drugs. Dr. Nadelman. Well, thank you, uh, Senator Johnson, for initiating this roundtable and for inviting me. Uh, I've been waiting for the opportunity of a long time to, uh, to share some of my thoughts with, uh, with members of the U.S. Senate. Let me just be frank. Uh, uh, I fundamentally believe that the war on drugs in this country and around the world has been a monumental disaster. It's been a disaster in public health terms, it's been a disaster in public safety terms, it's been a disaster in fiscal terms, it's been a disaster in human rights terms, right? I appreciate you bringing up the analogy to alcohol prohibition before, uh, because, you know, you look back at alcohol prohibition, some of what led the nation to embrace the 18th Amendment back then was the notion that alcohol was a horrific drug that was causing immense devastation in this country and, and what have you. And people embarked upon the experiment of national prohibition. What happened? We saw Al Capone and rising levels of organized crime. We saw all sorts of violence and bootleggers at the borders with Canada and Mexico and all around the country. We saw overflowing jail cells and courthouses. We saw hundreds of thousands of Americans being blinded and poisoned and killed by bad bootleg liquor, liquor that was more dangerous because it was illegal. We saw people talking about you know, nullifying elements of the Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution. We saw levels of corruption that were unparalleled in many parts of the country. You know, we saw Chicago and other towns essentially taken over by the narco-traffickers of the day, the alcohol bootleggers, and we saw a rising level of cynicism and disregard for the law. You know what else we saw? We didn't see any reduction in alcohol consumption. At the beginning, it looked like it was going to drive down alcohol use, but by the end of alcohol prohibition, alcohol use was as high at the end of alcohol prohibition as it had been at the beginning. And the major switch was that people had shifted from beer and wine to hard liquor, oftentimes underground hard liquor that was more dangerous. That's why the country came to its senses and said, enough of this, we're repealing alcohol prohibition. At the same time, many countries in Europe that were flirting with prohibition they looked at us, they saw Al Capone, they saw all the money going down the drain, all the failures, all the hypocrisy. They said, we're not going to do that. 
We're going to crack down on booze with higher taxes and tougher licensing restrictions and public education campaigns. You know what happened in Europe with that? Without prohibiting alcohol, they drove down alcohol use and alcohol abuse further than we did at the beginning of alcohol prohibition in the United States. And rather than putting billions of pounds and guilders or whatever it might be into the hands of, of traffickers and gangsters, they put it into government treasuries. Seems to me that was the better approach then. There's a lot to be learned. Fast forward to right now. Drug prohibition has been a monumental disaster. You mentioned you know, what's going on in Mexico and places like that, Afghanistan, what's going on in Colombia, parts of Central America. They are like Al Capone in Chicago times 50. It's a result of a failed prohibitionist policy. Then you look at the, what's happened in American prisons. What are we, less than 5% of the world's population, but almost 25% of the world's incarcerated populations, the highest rate of incarceration in the history of democratic societies, a rate of incarcerating black people in this country that puts South Africa during apartheid or the Soviet gulags to shame. It's nothing to be proud of, and it turned out to be remarkably ineffective in dealing with the problems, with the problems of drug abuse. Then you look at the public health side. You know, though when HIV started to spread among injecting drug users back in the 1980s, those countries, not just Australia and Netherlands, but Margaret Thatcher's Britain, decided that needle exchange programs were the right thing to do. They succeeded in keeping their HIV rates among injecting drug users under 5%. In America, we said, no way, no way, no way, and we ended up killing 100 to 200,000 people in this country, not just injecting drug users, but their lovers and their kids. That was a disaster as well. So I think that this war on drugs has just served this country so poorly. I think what happened is we developed an addiction it was an addiction to drug war thinking, drug war ideology, and drug war policies. And right now, finally, thankfully, the country is finally in recovery from the drug war addiction of our past. Now, that said, in making the analogy to alcohol prohibition, I think it applies mightily to the issue of marijuana prohibition. And if I'd been coaching that seven-year-old who asked you that question that day that you spoke in that school, I would have said, you know, Senator, let me tell you something, during marijuana, I don't see any evidence that the marijuana laws are preventing young people from getting it or any evidence of preventing older people from getting it. All I see is evidence that it's putting a lot of people in jail and costing the government a lot of money. Do you still support a marijuana prohibition policy knowing that it's been totally ineffective? But with the other drugs, I think this is the way to think about it. And I'm going to conclude my comments with this. I think the best drug policy, what it tries to do is it starts with the understanding that there's never been a drug-free society, more or less in human history. And there's never going to be a drug-free society. If anything, we're going to see more drugs, legal, illegal, in between, gray market in the future, from pharmaceutical companies, underground manufacturers, you name it. Therefore, our challenge is not to try to keep drugs at bay, to build a wall or a moat between this country and others, between our schools and what have you. That's failed. The evidence is in. What we have to do is accept the fact, sadly, that drugs are here to stay and that our great challenge is to learn how to live with them so they cause the least possible harm and, in some cases, the greatest possible good. Therefore, think about drug policy in the two following ways. The first is that the optimal drug policy should try to do two things. It should seek to reduce the negative consequences of drug use, the death, the disease, the crime, and the suffering, the devastation of families and individuals and communities. It should seek to reduce the harms of drugs. And secondly, it must seek to reduce the harms of government policies, reduce the mass incarceration and the drug gangs out abroad and all of the negative health consequences and violations of civil liberties and human rights. The optimal drug policy is the one that most successfully reduces both the harms of drugs and the harms of government policies. And the second frame, and I'll finish with this, I think it's helpful because all change essentially is incremental in these areas and most others, is to think about our options as a rate along a spectrum 
from the most punitive drug policies on the one hand, the Saudi Arabia, Singapore, you know, Malaysia, cut off your hands, execute you, lock them up, drug test you without cause, and throw you into what are called treatment camps or early prisons, all the way down to the most free market, Milton Friedman-esque, you know, policies with no restrictions except, you know, to keep kids away. The way we need to think about drug policy is moving down this spectrum from the highly punitive over-reliance on the criminal law and the criminal justice institutions, moving incrementally, step-by-step, step, down this spectrum, but stopping short at the point at which going any further would actually entail real risk to public health or public safety. And it means being driven by the evidence of the thought that Dr. McDonald just re referenced to. When the evidence shows that mandatory minimum sentences are not having an effective deterrent impact, then it's time to reform it or repeal those. When the evidence shows that marijuana has is useful medical purposes, it's time to acknowledge that. When the evidence shows that providing sterile syringes to injecting drug users through pharmacies or needle exchange programs reduces the spread of HIV, AIDS, and Hep C without increasing drug use, it's time to do that. When the evidence shows that methanol maintenance and buprenorphine maintenance are successful in reducing the harms of addiction and helping people get their lives together, it's time to do that. When the evidence shows that heroin maintenance and safe injection sites reduce all sorts of harms and produce a net benefit, it's time to do that. With, with marijuana legalization, we'll see. My judgment is that the net benefits of moving the direction of the sensible regulation of marijuana exceed the risks. That's a judgment, and we'll see how that works out, but I think that the evidence overwhelmingly suggests the right way to go. With the other drugs, we need to move towards a decriminalization, public health approach, and focus, and this is what I'll do in my comments later, on reducing the demand and the magnitude for demand in these drugs. So long as there is a demand, there will be a supply. Pouring money into supply just pushes it from one place to another, like trying to bang down on, on, on mercury or step down on a balloon. It's about reducing demand in ways that are driven by the evidence and respect for basic human decency. Thank you. That's Drug Policy Alliance Executive Director Ethan Nadelman speaking to the U.S. Senate's uh, Homeland Security Committee. We've got more of that testimony from the uh, Homeland Security Committee. Uh, we're going to hear some of the anti-testimony. <laughs> And uh, we'll definitely have our finger on the pause button so we can uh, hack it up. But uh, that's coming up in hour two. Coming up next, we've got time for a radical rant. We're going to take a look at Washington State and how Mark Kleiman has instituted a Soviet economy in the marijuana markets in Washington State. We're back in just two minutes. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. 
Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals, or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. DotBuzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. And didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Today in the Radical Rant, I want to take a look just north of me into Washington state, one of the four currently legal states and by far the worst marijuana legalization scheme yet implemented in the United States. Now, understand that comes the caveat that even the worst marijuana legalization scheme in the United States is 100 times better than the best decriminalization. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's make sure that we all understand that. I would still vote for I-502. I would still want marijuana to be legalized in the state of Washington. But what has happened since it's been legalized can be traced mostly to the wisdom, if you call it that, of one man, the former UCLA public policy professor, and I think he's currently at NYU, uh, Professor uh, Mark Kleiman, Mark A.R. Kleiman. Uh, he was contracted by the state of Washington uh, at much taxpayer expense for his company, Botech Analysis, to provide guidance on how to run Washington's marijuana market. Now, understand that Washington's I-502 was championed and supported mostly by people who aren't pot smokers. And I don't mean the electorate. I mean the, the leaders of the campaign. The, le the night that I-502 passed in 2012, I was in Seattle with the leadership of the campaign, and they were all toasting, toasting with uh, cocktails and beers. There was no pot smoking in celebration of just having legalized pot smoking. So you got to understand, we're talking about a law that was crafted by people who don't smoke marijuana themselves, and then 
they contract with not only a guy who doesn't smoke marijuana himself, but also a guy who thinks that the smoking of marijuana ought to be discouraged by the state. So with that background of having a, a bias in favor of reducing consumption, you end up with a con- consultation that recommends all of these controls and restrictions on the market to discourage consumption. And that, of course, is not necessarily what's best for the consumers. And this all tracks down to what Mark Kleiman decided should be established for Washington State, and that is a a Soviet Union-style centrally planned economy. The idea was under uh, Kleiman, and I'll give you Kleiman's uh, uh, quote here if I can find it in the piece that I'm reading, that uh, um, the free market, this is a quote from, from Kleiman, the free market is an excellent system for maximizing consumption. That's why I don't want to apply it to this product. I wouldn't want that system for alcohol either, but we lost that battle, end quote. Yeah, that's right, folks. If Mark Kleiman had his way, not only would he set up a restrictive quota-based system for marijuana, he'd do the same for alcohol. If he could wave a magic wand and make it happen, he'd make your alcohol more expensive and more difficult to acquire. So the only problem with that, of course, is making the alcohol more difficult to acquire would actually have a, 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 a beneficial public policy angle in that alcohol is an extremely harmful drug to the people who use it and those of us who don't <laughs> wanting to set up a system to discourage the use of marijuana, especially a, a situation where they might use that instead of alcohol has a counterproductive, a negative public policy effect. But anyway, this uh, central planning, uh, what it was, was that uh, the state would estimate how much marijuana uh, is consumed, how big is the market that is in marijuana in the state of Washington, and then decide based on that how much marijuana should be grown and how many retail outlets there should be. And of course, the beginning of this, when this first happened, they predicted quite badly because how do you estimate a black market? You really have no idea what's going on. You can take surveys, you can take polls because it's illegal. (laughs) You're not necessarily getting accurate responses. And then on top of that, a gray market, quasi-legal, highly successful medical marijuana system, at least from the consumer's point of view, with active gray market dispensaries. And how do you get good estimates of all that as well? The Botech people uh, mentioned this themselves in saying that the, uh, the feasibility range covers as low as $60 million and as high as $740 million. <laughs> so, that's quite a margin of error <clears throat> from 60 to 740. Quite a margin of error, but they, they decided that they could nail it down. And so what they did is they, when they first established how many licenses there'd be, they set it at 334 marijuana licenses for retail outlets. And then they set a overall canopy. I think it was like 2.1 million square feet. So all the grows in the state could not total more than that. And in the beginning, this led to ridiculously high prices in the state of Washington. 
$25 a gram, $30 a gram, insane prices. And on top of that, he recommends a insanely high tax. Now, it did go from three levels of 25% to one level of 37%, but that's still the highest marijuana tax in the nation. And this is because Mark Kleiman wants to discourage people from consuming cannabis. He wants to keep the price high as a deterrent from you smoking too much. So eventually this has worked out. Eventually the growers have adjusted and we've had more of them and they've increased their, their production. And now the prices in Washington state are down to about less than $10 a gram on average at the retail, less than $3 a gram on the wholesale level. So the market, even as restricted as it has been under this Soviet style, central planning has found a way to adjust. And now we've got prices down to where there's some of the lowest prices in the nation. Well, that's a bad thing for people like Mark Kleiman, who think that, again, we ought to be punished. We ought to be dissuaded from consuming cannabis. So now enter the Washington state legislature, which has kind of gone along with all of these Botech things, because also the Washington state legislature doesn't want marijuana commerce. So in the they've done every bad faith negotiation and move they could to try to stymie not only the recreational markets development, but to also undercut and destroy as much of the medical side as they could so as to eliminate competition for the recreational side that they're taxing at 37%. So this has led to the elimination of collective gardens in Washington state where 10 patients could collectively cultivate 45 plants. That's going away. It's led to the merging of the retail dispensaries and retail uh, pot shops. And in doing so, Botech has uh, recommended the cap be raised to 556 total stores. But what that's ignoring is how many of these dispensaries are going out of business that had been supplying the market. Let's take a look at Tacoma, Washington, right there south of uh, Seattle. Tacoma, Washington, according to the News Tribune in Tacoma, has said that last summer there were close to 70 dispensaries in Tacoma. And this was just supplying the medical marijuana market, 70 dispensaries. But now with this new SB 5052 passing in Washington State, they all have to be licensed and there's a cap on how many retailers can be in Tacoma. And that cap is 16. 16 stores to take over a business. And remember, we were talking, we're going from 70 stores that were handling just medical consumers to now just 16 stores to handle all those medical consumers and the additional recreational consumers coming in. And they think that can work? Well, no. All that can do is, once again, create an artificial scarcity that raises the price of cannabis. And the extra hoop they have to jump through now, there's a city ordinance in Tacoma that requires all of the pot shops to get a medical endorsement if they want to provide medical cannabis. So at every stage here, the well-intentioned I-502 that was, hey, let's legalize marijuana for everyone, 
has turned into, okay, well, if we're going to legalize marijuana for everyone, we're going to make it as bad as we, as we can. We're going to make as many bad regulations, as many bad laws, and as many bad centrally planned Soviet-style economic decisions as we can. Now, what, a, what a terrible, terrible government going on there in Washington state doing this to the cannabis consumers of the state. And a lot of this, you can point it straight at Mark Kleiman. Again, a guy who doesn't want marijuana to be consumed. Now, he's one of these guys, he's kind of like a Kevin Sabet, like these third-way guys that will agree with you that prohibition sucks. He'll agree that prohibition sucks. It's terrible. It's awful. We shouldn't be criminalizing people. But he wants to make it so that marijuana is still dirty and bad and socially frowned upon and syntaxed and expensive and there to be all sorts of coercion and incentive for the cannabis consumers to give up their dirty, awful, evil, terrible habit. He would have uh, state stores uh, if he could rather than just, you know, licensed businesses doing it. But the, the problem that Kleiman ignores in all of this is that the, the more you try to centrally plan and the more you thwart the market, the more the market continues to thrive. It just is a black market. It's like uh, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Life finds a way. Well, supply and demand finds a way too. And when you continue to advocate for these ridiculously high taxes, to advocate that a town like Tacoma that had 70 shops be restricted to just 16, then you ought to be getting a thank you note from the illegal growers and dealers in the state of Washington. Thank you for helping to maintain artificial restrictions prohibition-like incentives for us to get involved. Taxes so high, we can undercut them. Locations so few, we can still be considered convenient. I mean, we don't need to speculate about this. We can see this in other situations. Look at New York City. A pack of smokes in New York City costs 12 bucks. That's because New York has passed all of these nanny state super high sin taxes to dissuade people from smoking cigarettes. It's a what about the children thing. If we make the price of smokes real high, kids will stop smoking. But the unintended consequence of that is you make the price of cigarettes so high, it's worth selling loose, untaxed cigarettes. And it's a confrontation over loose, untaxed cigarettes that got Eric Garner choked out by the NYPD. Why can't we learn these lessons of prohibition? Well, I, I can tell you why. Because it's a moral thing. It's a culture thing. This has nothing to do with intelligence or looking at the past and drawing reasonable conclusions. It has to do with the fact that people like Mark Kleiman think potheads are bad, think pot is bad and therefore cannot see the forest or the trees. They cannot see the logic of just letting the market determine what happens with marijuana. It ain't alcohol. It's all the time for Hour 1. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for Hour 2. I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show.
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tow. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the enema man, the snoopy, snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Ganja Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, tokers and toquettes and non-token lovers of liberty. It's hour two, Toker Talk Radio, on the air here, live on CannabisRadio.com. And a quick programming note, Stoner Jesus won't be on the air tonight. Got some internet difficulties in Stoner Heaven. Yeah, it's surprising, actually, that uh, Stoner Heaven is still uh, still struggling with broadband. Um, yeah. Stoner Heaven still has a lot of dial-up accounts. God's not too quick on the whole uh, technology thing. So, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, no Stoner Jesus coming after today's show. You just get me. So uh, let's uh, wind up the rest of this Friday. And uh, we'll do so with uh, coming up in the next couple of segments. I've got more recordings from the congressional testimony, testimony uh, to the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Ethan Nadelman did a fantastic eight-minute speech, and then we'll hear from a couple of the other uh, prohibitionists, <laughs> and we'll have our finger on the pause button, because I'm sure I'll have to uh, rebut some of their reefer madness. And you know what we ought to do one of these days here at the Russ Belleville Show? I think we ought to print up prohibitionist bingo cards, and uh, we could have these prohibitionist bingo cards that have things on them like Watsy, what about the children, Smoth, Stone Mayhem on the freeways, uh, Potency, not your father's Woodstock weed, right? We'd have that one. Have all these squares filled in with all the different uh, the different things that they say. Because it's so routine now. You know, you can predict what they're going to say. 
and we'll put Kevin Sabet's face in the middle. That's your free spot. That's your free uh, your free bingo spot, right? So anytime you watch one of these testimonials or you read an article, you can just have your bingo card in front of you. <laughs> just mark them off as they say them. It could be a learning tool. You know, we could have the bingo card and then uh, on the reverse have all the debunks of each one of the things. I have to put that together. I'm telling you, folks, there's going to be all sorts of great new stuff in the radical Russ world. I'm telling you, uh, I, I can't tell you everything that's happening, but there's some things happening behind the scenes and some new alliances being forged and new companies being built and new ideas being thought up. And I think it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. I trust. Trust me. It's going to be huge. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, the Trumpkin, uh, did you see that thing on the uh, Internet the other day? Uh, it was on Facebook. came through my Facebook feed of the eighth grader doing the presidential impersonations. Oh, if you haven't seen that, go look at it. Just uh, You could probably Google it, eighth grader presidential impersonations and find it. They played a couple of clips on some of the news shows and such, but go watch the whole eight-minute speech. It's it, The kid's amazing. He's great. Uh, what a fantastic Hillary Clinton impersonation he did. It was <laughs> damn impressive. Anyway, uh, that's going on. We've got this testimony uh, that we're going to tell you about. And then uh, we'll also wind things up with just uh, the late news update, some late news Friday stories that are coming across the wire here in the world of marijuana reform. And uh, also uh, got some new writing gigs. You can check out. I'll have a piece coming out in the August issue of Cannabis Now magazine. And it's going to be the top five fallacies of stoners against legalization. So that'll be out on newsstands leading up to the election in California. So really excited about that. Also, uh, more pieces. uh, High Times Magazine piece coming up uh, for the, I think it's going to be in the October issue, uh, which is a preview, an election preview with all the different uh, initiatives. So. Plenty of that stuff coming up, and uh, as always, you can find my writing on RadicalRust.com, the home of the Russ Belville Show. Also, let me know if, if, if you're a VIP, if you've been donating to the show for a long time and you never got your pin or sticker or anything like that, please let me know. I've had so many upheavals in my life. I've lost track of some stuff, and I want to make sure we do right by you. So just email me, RadicalRust at gmail.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Good to everybody. Radical Russ here in Aspen, Colorado at the Alaska Northwest Cannabis Classic at the 26th Annual Boston Freedom Rally at the High Times Cannabis Cup Northern California. 
day one of Canacon in Seattle, Washington. It's the Russ Belville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is... At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. (laughs) This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Nine after the hour. And a quick update on American ignorance. (laughs) Like we need one, but here's a quick update. Um, The Internet is ablaze with the news of... A county in Alabama, Baldwin County, Alabama, that refuses to lower the flags to half-staff for the victims of the Orlando Massacre. That's right. President Obama issued a decree to lower flags to half-staff nationwide. Alabama Governor Robert Bentley followed suit and ordered flags statewide to be lowered to half-staff. But Baldwin County Commissioner Tucker Dorsey uh, won't lower the flag in Baldwin County. Now, his reasoning is, and he says, quote, my heart certainly goes out to the victims and their families, but this incident doesn't meet the test of the reason for the flag to be lowered. Oh, oh really? (laughs) Massacring 49 people isn't enough to lower a flag. Well, He's getting pedantic about it because he cites the U.S. flag code. He cites the U.S. flag code saying that the, uh, the flag is supposed to be lowered on Memorial Day. Uh, let's see, he says, lowering of flags to half-staff after mass shooting or terrorist event is not a valid circumstance or memorial as specified in the U.S. flag code, Section 175, Paragraph M. I realize that the president and governor make, make this order, but I believe and interpret their order inconsistent with the adopted flag code. Okay, so... Um, who... <laughs> Okay, so if you want to be pedantic about it and you want to cite the U.S. flag code, then I certainly hope, Tucker Dorsey, that you don't have a U.S. flag sticker on the back of your car. I hope that you're not wearing a U.S. flag pin. I hope that you don't have a T-shirt or a hat that has the U.S. flag on it. Because those items in a strictly interpreted U.S. flag code violate the code as well. You ever see these guys? You'll see them sometimes driving around in their big old pickup and they got a full-size U.S. flag posted out the back of their pickup flying like a tail on a kite, you know, behind them. 
they're violating the flag code. According to U.S. flag code, the only place a flag may be placed on a moving vehicle is the front left corner. Because the flag doesn't follow the vehicle, the vehicle follows the flag. So I have no way of looking up Tucker Dorsey's, you know, car to see if he's got a bumper sticker or if he's one of them guys that's always wearing a flag pin and such. So maybe he is consistent. Maybe he's one of these guys that follows the flag code to the letter. But I have to ask, to what purpose does this guy, I mean, like, what does he think he's defending by doing this? What, what does he think he's doing? Right? It's not as if, you know, the flags were ordered at half staff to celebrate the killer. <laughs> right? Now, that would be evil and terrible. Yeah, that would make no sense. They were ordered lowered at half staff to symbolize national national mourning. And let's say that he's right and that isn't a valid reason to lower the flag. But by standing up for the flag code, what are you doing? Like protecting the flag from being disrespected? Like it's disrespected somehow if we lower it for 49 people that are slaughtered in a nightclub? What a... So I just had to I had to comment on that just because it just caught me off guard when I, I was clicking through tabs on the Internet. And I thought, what? You wouldn't lower the flag. Now, he says also this Tucker guy says they didn't lower the flag uh, for the massacre in Paris. They didn't lower the flag uh, for the shootings in San Bernardino and so forth. I just I don't know, man. This <laughs> seems a little pedantic to me. All right. Let's go to uh, the marijuana movement here. Because uh, we have some more of this audio from the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, a Senate committee, where Dr. Ethan Nadelman gave some testimony regarding uh, the legalization of marijuana and the end of marijuana prohibition. So we're going to continue now and hear from some of the anti people. Uh, David W. Murray is testifying. He's the senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. Let's take a listen reduction in the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. He's currently senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, Dr. Murray. Thank you, Senator. Uh, and I certainly want to take a moment to give my appreciation for each of you who uh, is persisting in this issue and this problem. It is an urgent issue, and it does not get the attention it deserves. And I want to commend you senators who have persisted in careful attention to this issue and are probing for answers for what is, as you identified, the cause of 47,000 deaths of Americans a year and overwhelming morbidity that is an additional toll. Um, My perspective for having worked inside the government and looking at the biomedical literature is that we need to approach drug policy somewhat differently than we have most recently, but that it can work, that we can save lives, and that we can effectively transition people into more secure and better lives. The underlying role of substance abuse of drug uh, use in driving American pathologies is extraordinary. I'm homeless. Well, okay, okay, but aren't we talking about marijuana? There's no pathology to marijuana. People don't die from marijuana. But it's, it's instructive, though, it's illustrative, that the prohibitionists, whenever they start their testimony on something having to do with marijuana, have to jump right to drugs. And, and it lets you know that they don't have anything scary to tell us about marijuana. 
it's it's also when whenever one of these guys goes off with the gateway theory, I kind of grin a little when they start so- talking about the gateway theory because it tells me they can't scare us with weed. They have to scare us with what weed might lead to. They have to they have to use the gateway theory because they're bankrupt on any other harms that have to do with marijuana. To domestic violence, to uh, law enforcement difficulties, to national security risks, to educational failure, uh, to the death of our beloved fellow citizens and family members. This is an extraordinary cancer that has been eating at us for a long time. You will hear arguments, and have heard some of them already, that I will be probably an outlier, a resistor, with regard to certain of the claims. It's not so much I don't share the goals of lower drug use, of a safer, healthier society. It's that I'm not convinced that the evidence is as strong as it is sometimes portrayed for these methodologies that are sometimes referred to as harm reduction. There are claims made about impact that when you look more carefully, the evidence is actually very weak and relies on self-report, on methodological studies that are very difficult to validate, very difficult to see the actual replicability of them the evidence is much weaker than you might anticipate with regard to moving in the direction that has been counseled. Number two, I would point out that we have moved in this direction in the last seven and a half years under this administration. That is a direction that has not strongly applied the strategic lessons of a, a balanced drug strategy approach that has weakened and undermined the very office responsible for setting that strategy and that has moved us down a pathway that approaches harm reduction mentalities. It has led to the enabling of legal marijuana. It has led to discussions about distribution of harm reduction activities, including supervised injection facilities. And I think we can say that the results that we are seeing are before us and are really quite appalling. The results. Yeah, those those appalling results, like you know, $121 million in tax revenues that have gone to build schools and create scholarships, the, you know, billion dollar industry that's created tens of thousands of jobs and contributed to increased tourism in Colorado, the 63% reduction in all marijuana charges in Washington, 80% reduction in all charges in Colorado, and the attendant criminal justice savings that we've achieved through those. Yeah, it's, it's, ah, gosh, it's so appalling. Gosh, it's just terribly appalling what marijuana legalization has done. And the other side of this, to, to attack the other drug site, he says things like the supervised injection sites, the clean needle exchanges, have been appalling. No, they haven't. Every measure taken of every one of these that's ever been done has shown that it reduces overdose death. It reduces hep C and HIV transmission and does not in any way increase drug addiction. It's remarkable to me the alternate reality these people live in. And he keeps alluding to this idea that, well, the evidence isn't nearly as clear as you'd believe it to be. And it's really, you know, it's really doubtful when you when you look really deeply into it. Yeah, when you ignore what's right there in front of your face and for moral reasons look deeper into it to try to find some catch, some loophole, some weird outlier. Like these guys that will jump on the fact that, oh my God, we found we found more people in car wrecks that have THC in their system. Of course, we don't know if they were high at the time. We don't know, we don't count whether or not they were drivers or passengers at the time 
Uh, we don't count whether or not they their car was at fault in the accident or they just got hit in the accident. <laughs> we just, oh, no, more pot, therefore bad. This is what they've got to uh, they got to come to grips with is that the use of marijuana and the increased use of marijuana in a legal framework by adults isn't a bad thing and overall may be a net good as those adults drink less, as those adults take less Ambien and Xanax and Tylenol and all these other drugs that they're taking, like candy, taking the pill to help the pill that fixes the side effect from the other pill. This could be a net good. Boot to the head. Oh, yes. Boot to the head. The uh, ancient art of Taekwon Leap. <laughs> if you've never heard that comedy skit, go Google it. Taekwon Leap or boot to the head. You'll find it. It's hilarious. Anyway, it's 420 here in the Pacific time zone, and I have a safety meeting that I'm late for. We all want to be safe. I hope you're safe. Get to your safety meeting. We'll be back here in a couple minutes. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town. Only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers. From a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? Are you stupid? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Thank you. 
Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back, everyone. 24 after the hour. We're continuing to listen to testimony at the uh, Senate Homeland Security Committee. And Ethan Nadelman testified earlier. Right now, we're in the middle of testimony from David W. Murray. He's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute who's uh, not so sanguine on all this uh, marijuana reform, legalization, and drug harm reduction. Uh, my apologies. In the earlier segment, uh, people in the chat room were telling me it got really quiet. And, yeah, I'm trying to boost the sound on this uh, on this particular recording, and it's not very loud. So I, I'll try and turn this up as much as I can and make sure you're able to hear it. But we return to the uh, testimony from the uh, gentleman from the Hudson Institute. Results are disaster, epidemic, and tragedy. Does the war on drugs work? Well, I would say that it's contingent on two things. Number one, you have to define what is success. And when you have roughly between a tenth and a sixth of the prevalence rates of illicit substances, such as marijuana, the most widely used, compared to alcohol or tobacco, that is a form of success. Oh, God. You got to love this one. Okay, so here's his premise. Here's his premise, folks. Lots and lots of people drink, and lots of people smoke cigarettes, but very few people use illegal drugs, one-sixth to one-tenth, depending on the illegal drug. Therefore, the war on drugs has been a success. (laughs) Well, first of all, you can't know that because you have no control to judge it against. You really don't know what the consumption of other drugs would be if they were completely legal. We could go back historically and look back to the 18th century when uh, cocaine and morphine, opium, laudanum, cannabis, they were all legal. And we didn't have any greater rates of use as far as I can tell. Drug addiction rates have always been around 1% no matter how many people are using drugs. So number one, it's a, it's a baseless presumption to say that the war on drugs has kept the use of illegal drugs low. Just like it's, it's, it makes as much sense as me telling you that I got a rock here. It's a magic tiger rock. It keeps tigers away. Well, do you see any tigers? Looks like the rock works, doesn't it? Well, we don't know. Right? You haven't tested it against anything. But the other thing, that that, bo- that bothers me about this is that this presumption completely ignores consumer demand for drugs based on their effects. Consider marijuana is a schedule one substance. So are mushrooms, but far more people use marijuana than use mushrooms. They're just as illegal if you're caught with them. But far more people use marijuana than use mushrooms. They're both substances that you can manufacture in a basement with just a little bit of know-how. You can get mushroom spore kits. You can grow mushrooms. But far few people use mushrooms than use marijuana. Why is that? Because they're different. (laughs) Marijuana is a nice mellow high. 
mushrooms are a mind expander. And not everybody's into that. Not And even people like me who are into that, I mean, I love my mushrooms from time to time. But it's from time to time. That's <laughs> every three months, every six months or so when I need to flush out Russ's brain a little bit. Right? It's not like every day like I smoke pot. These, these are the kind of people that would it'd be like, you know, how many people uh, eat oranges versus how many people eat durian fruit? Have you ever heard of durian fruit? D-U-R-I-A-N. It is one of the most disgusting things I've ever tasted in my life. It's it's a Vietnamese thing. It's a South Asian thing. It's this fruit. And apparently some people like it. <laughs> but my God, it tastes and smells like some combination of kerosene and cat piss. And, oh, it's just disgusting. It's just vulgar. It's, it's not even disgusting. It's vulgar in its disgustingness. But you wouldn't, like, if durian fruit were illegal, you wouldn't say it's because it's illegal people aren't using it. You'd say it's because it sucks. It's an awful thing that very few people like. Similarly, similarly, we can look at the appetites for illegal drugs. Cocaine and methamphetamine are just as illegal. They're both Schedule two, but there's widely different numbers of people that use those. Hell, even among the legal substances... There's cigarettes and there's cigars. Far more people smoke cigarettes. Why? They're both as legal. They both contain nicotine. Well, because cigarettes and cigars taste different. And there's different convenience to them. And there's different uh, smell to them and so forth. Same thing goes for alcohol. More people drink beer than drink Bacardi 151. They're both alcohol. They're both legal. Well, some states you can't get 151, so let's say Jack Daniels. Let's say beer and Jack Daniels. More people drink beer than drink Jack Daniels. Why? Because most people that want to get a buzz just want to drink a couple beers and get a light buzz. They're not looking to shoot a whole bunch of Jack Daniels and get fucked up. So I hate it when these drug warriors say, well, see, illegal drugs, so few people use them. <laughs> well, you don't know. And what we found from the legalization of marijuana so far is that as we've legalized marijuana, more people have chosen to use it. You'd think that would bolster his case, but all it tells us is that marijuana is a popular drug. Marijuana, mushrooms, LSD, PCP, and ecstasy are all Schedule 1. They're all available in most American cities, but far more people use the pot than use the rest of those drugs. The effect of the drug matters. These are different products with different audiences and different uses and different frequencies of use. All right, let's go back to the uh, reefer madness. You are reducing the disease and its morbidity and its impact when you have one-sixth to one-tenth the prevalence rate among young people and adults of the use of a substance. Part of that is attributed to the fact that there are social norms against its use and law enforcement sanctions against its use. And that law enforcement can be a powerful partner in referring people into treatment and recovery. And when we decriminalize or move towards a model of deregulation and so forth, this really doesn't suffice. It doesn't answer our needs. It undermines the most effective partner for referring people to treatment. It undermines our hold on prevention, on the norms of non-using of drugs. And ultimately, it weakens our approach, I believe. All right, so the point he makes about it weakens our norms on the non-use of drugs. This is that wrong message to the children argument, 
This is we if we legalize it, it'll send the wrong message to the children. And yet we've seen that uh, the children aren't smoking any more pot before legalization and after legalization. It hasn't seemed to have changed their consumption patterns any. The other part that he gets to, where he keeps talking about uh, re- reducing, let's let's go back just a couple seconds here, catch just those few words that he had to say. Well, that's what I get for backing it up. There we go. What is success? And when you have roughly between a tenth and a sixth of the prevalence rates of illicit substances, such as marijuana, the most widely used, compared to alcohol or tobacco, that is a form of success. You are reducing the disease and its morbidity and its impact. When you have one-sixth to one-tenth the prevalence rate among young people and adults of the use of a substance, part of that is attributed to the fact that there are social norms against its use and law enforcement sanctions against its use, and that law enforcement can be a powerful partner in referring people into treatment and recovery, and when we decriminalize or move towards a model of deregulation and so forth, this really doesn't suffice. It doesn't answer our needs. It undermines the most effective partner for referring people to treatment. It undermines our hold on prevention, on the norms of non-using of drugs, and ultimately it weakens our approach, I believe. There's the part I wanted to get to, which is it weakens the partnership between law enforcement and rehabilitation. It takes away one of our best ways of moving people into rehabilitation. Don't you love the euphemisms used here? We're talking about forced rehab when you catch someone with drugs, whether or not they have a problem with drugs or not. When we look at the science, we find that 9% of the people who ever try marijuana, ever use marijuana, develop any sort of dependence toward it. The dependence rate can go as high as 32% for tobacco. And it's in the 20s for heroin and cocaine and meth and, you know, from 15 to 25 and so forth, right? But what that tells us is at least three quarters of the people that use drugs don't have a dependence problem. And it's greater as you get to the, the caffeine and the marijuana situation. And then you look at, for those who do have a dependence problem, how severe is the dependence problem? Now, a cocaine dependence, a meth dependence, a heroin dependence can get severe enough that without it, you can die. And that can motivate a desperate person to do all sorts of desperate things, robberies and prostitution and all sorts of things. But even the most pot addicted weed head out there is never going to get to the physical devastation that a jonesing heroin user or cocaine user is going to get, or even alcohol user for that matter. And it's not as likely to cause them to commit desperate acts. So these guys, when they want to sit on their high horse and talk about, well, we're just trying to help the poor addicts get into some rehab bullshit you're trying to help the poor addict get into rehab or else you'd be taking the guys that you catch uh uh for uh, for dui or or anything like that and forcing them into rehab too consistently this we've seen and i covered this on the drug war data mines yesterday that over half of the people who go to rehab for a single drug for marijuana It's over half that are forced there by the criminal justice system and the criminal justice system forces them there most the time because they caught them with marijuana. 
Now, we can talk about drug courts when we're catching a heroin user who is doing car break-ins to support their habit. That's a place where a drug court can say, hey, look, your heroin use has gotten to the point where you're starting to commit crimes. And rather than lock you up for those crimes, we'd like to see you get off the heroin. I'm with you on that. But when you're catching the pot smoker because he was smoking in the alley because there's no pot lounge for him to smoke in or because pot's illegal and he's still trying to hide, depending on the state. When you catch the pot smoker and then you subject him to some sort of misdemeanor and then you tell them that, well, hey, you can get out of your fine or you can get out of some jail time by going to rehab. Then all you're doing is is having a government mandated client for a private Healthcare product. You've got, you know, basically a smaller version of Obamacare, forcing people to have to pay for a private government product, a private product under the threat of punishment from the government. We'll cover some more of this reefer madness when we come back. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Rest Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com on this beautiful Friday from Portland, Oregon. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. The cannabis industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Carson doesn't believe in the Geneva Convention. Okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. 
the law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. 40 after the hour, coming to you from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. And a reminder, no Stoner Jesus show coming up at the top of the hour. Stoner Jesus having some internet problems in stoner heaven. It's a long connection, folks. I mean, (laughs) and you know... The, the, the Christian types aren't always so good at tech, so. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get letters for that. Oh, I, yeah, as if I get letters. Come on now. <laughs> it's internet. Back in the 20th century, we used to send paper to everybody. It was the way it was done, and by God, we liked it. All right, so uh, let's get back to the testimony. Uh, if you just joined us, we're listening to David W. Murray. He's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute testifying before the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee. Now, he just followed up Ethan Nadelman from Drug Policy Alliance, who dropped bombs, man, talked about how prohibition didn't work and how we've got countries with needle exchange and, and harm, harm reduction policies that we can show have worked. And this guy, he keeps going back to the well for all the reefer madness he can dig up. Let's get back to it. Listening again to David Murray uh, testifying in Congress. I'll have my finger on the pause button to debunk uh, most of what he has to say. The second contingency is this. Drug policy where it has been effective, and there are models of where it has been highly effective, reducing the youth use rates of marijuana 25% in the period from 2001 to 2008. That was an achievement. Reducing the use of major drugs, including methamphetamine and heroin during that same time period, were major achievements. And they are almost always attributable to having a bipartisan approach that crosses the aisle so that it's a unified American understanding of American lives and American risk. At the same time, you can't be, in my famous story of this that strikes me as so compelling, is Penelope on Ithaca, the wife of Ulysses, and he's sailing for 20 years, and she must marry a suitor when she finally finishes a tapestry in front of her. And when that figure in the tapestry is done, she will be forced to make a decision. But what does she do every night as she waits for Ulysses? She unravels it because she doesn't want it to come to an end. That's a positive model, but unfortunately, we've taken the worst of that. We unravel our drug policy almost every four or eight years. We make gains, we have effective strategies, and then we spend the next period of time reversing ourselves. Under that model, you cannot achieve long-range, sustained goals. We need to get back to that model. Uh, this is one of those situations where if only, if only we kept doing the drug war consistently and for a longer period of time, by gum, then it would have worked. But doggone it, we get Republicans in like Reagan and Bush who do a good, strong drug war. And then next thing you know, you get a Clinton in there who undoes it all. And then you get a good Bush in there that does more drug war. And then you get an Obama in there that lets people legalize. Doggone it. 
We just don't have any success. Yeah. It's never enough time for them. Now, it only took 13 years for the United States to recognize that alcohol prohibition was a failure. But for this guy, 40 years, 45 years, 46, 46 years of drug prohibition has not been enough for him. It still could be done if we just tried harder. And did I hear this guy go off on how America is so different? We can't really look at what they're doing in Portugal or the Netherlands or any of these other countries because, well, we're, we're different. We have a different culture. We're a different country. We're America. We're exceptional. Folks, you know what that, that's code for, don't you? You know, you know when they say stuff like that. Well, we, it's, you know, we have a different culture here in America. We, it wouldn't work the same in America. That's, it's, it's a little uh, racist dog whistling is what it is. So, well, yeah, sure, in the Netherlands, where they're all, you know, the same, if you get my drift, or, or Portugal, where all the, they're all the same, you know, as if, as if other countries don't have minorities, <laughs> you know, underprivileged groups, even caste societies in some cases. Nope, America's completely different. We're the only place that has poor people and ethnic minorities. <laughs> okay, let's listen to some more of this. This is entertaining as hell bipartisan approach so what am i recommending we have to acknowledge a couple of things the urgency before us at the moment is opioid overdose deaths but we can't let that drive all of our understanding it's a relatively unique situation because we have for opioids methadone assisted treatment or medication assisted treatment of various types we have naloxone an overdose reversal drug we have the capacity to do things like injection facilities. If we move in that direction, I would counsel against it. Okay, so what's fun about this video is just off to the left frame is Ethan Nadelman, and you can see him shifting in his seat and kind of holding his hand up to his mouth like, like I can't rebut this guy. That's the hardest thing when you're on these testimonial panels or you're in an audience listening to this stuff in some committee room. You want to be like the guys in Animal House. Bullshit! 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 It's like, can you believe these people are saying these things, right? So he's, he's all concerned about the opioid crisis. Oh, my goodness. We got opioid overdoses. Terrible, terrible opioid overdose crisis. Terrible opioid overdose crisis. People are in pain. Too much pain out there. Taking too many painkillers. Too many opioids. They're dying. But let's keep medical marijuana illegal. Let's keep an alternative pain relief illegal that doesn't cause overdose deaths. See, these guys, when they make their points, it's, it's as if they're fighting these, all these little separate battles. There's this battle with opioids, and there's this battle with meth, and there's this battle with coke, and there's this battle with pot. And they don't see how they all affect one another. That if you continue fighting the battle on pot, it makes your battle against the opioids that much more difficult. And, of course, the thing they'll never recognize in the opioid overdose crisis is how much they, the government, have had a hand in the opioid overdose crisis. You know, these opioid painkillers, they have a quota on them. They're Schedule II drugs. And they're not the kind of thing you can just grow in your, uh, well, I suppose opium. You can grow opium, but you you can grow poppies, but... You can't just grow an oxycodone pill is what I'm saying. You can't grow an oxycontin or a fentanyl or anything like that. They require all sorts of chemicals and all sorts of knowledge and equipment, and they're made in factories. 
And the government, the Office of Diversion Control from the DEA, sets the quotas on these opioid drugs. And in the medical marijuana era, the increase in production quotas for these various drugs have been anywhere from an increase of about 1,000% to an increase of ten or 15,000% in how much of that drug is allowed to be manufactured. And what a surprise. More mass availability of opioid products, and what do you know? We've got more opioid overdose deaths. What a surprise. So these guys that, uh, you know, get on their high horse about the opioid overdose crisis, you know, point, point a finger in the mirror there because it has a lot to do with our government policies. Now, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, unaware and unsympathetic to the problem of chronic pain in America. It's far underdiagnosed and undertreated. It may not be the problem if there's too much of these opioid pills. It may be a problem of how they're being distributed and how they're being controlled and who's getting a hold of them. That can be part of it. But to deny people the alternative of medical cannabis to help to relieve their pain, and actually the, the, the data we're seeing, the research we're finding, shows that there's a synergistic effect between cannabis use and opioids. That is, if you're using both, the cannabis allows you to use less of the opioid to get the pain relief. See, I'm not, I'm not uncognizant uh, of the level of pain we're talking about either. You know, weed's good for certain pain, but there's certain levels where weed's not going to touch it. You have to have those opioids for that level of pain. For those people, though, if they're using opioids in conjunction with marijuana, they need less of that opioid to deal with that high level of pain. And finally, this guy going off against recommending, you know, I'd be against the uh, needle, you know, the uh, supervised injection facilities. That's just moralism. These people that are against the supervised injection facilities are just making a moral judgment on that drug use. Just because they think needles are dirty and scary and ugly and gross, right? They're making this judgment. Now, if OxyContin were routinely uh, adulterated and amounts of it were unknown and impure, then this would be the kind of guy that would be, you know, fighting for them to be tested and controlled. Well, that's all we're doing when we're talking about clean needles and having a supervised injection facility. It's making sure that someone who is using heroin doesn't end up infecting themselves with hep C or HIV from the needle, pass that on to other people, and then we exacerbate an opioid epidemic with a hep C epidemic or a HIV epidemic on top of it. It's all about keeping things clean. But these guys, what they worry about is that, well... If we have a supervised injection facility, all we're doing is encouraging people to shoot heroin. Dude, you don't need to encourage people on heroin to shoot heroin. They're addicted to heroin. Does the word addiction mean something to you? Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? They're going to shoot it no matter where they're going to shoot it. They're just going to shoot it because it's heroin and they're addicted to it. Given the fact that's inevitable, how about we make sure they got a clean needle, they got a nurse on staff with some naloxone handy to take care of them if they overdose, 
what they're afraid of is that, well, if there's these supervised injection facilities, then there's no incentive not to quit heroin. They, and especially if there's naloxone, they know there's an out. That's what the governor of Maine actually was saying the other day. Was that the well with with naloxone they'd know there's a there's an automatic out to their heroin overdose and so it wouldn't encourage them to stop. Again, do you know what addicted means? <laughs> it means they're going to do it regardless. Heroin addicts right now overdose and they know they can overdose, but they ignore that because they are addicted. Addiction does not allow for rational cost-benefit analysis. Addiction says, feed me, Seymour, and you do it. So given that that is the fact, why wouldn't we want to save a life? These guys actually think that the fear of overdosing is going to stop addicts from overdosing. And if we take that fear away with them, from them by giving them a clean injection facility and some naloxone, why, they'll just keep on being addicted to heroin. Look, most people addicted to heroin don't want to be. Here's a news flash for you. <laughs> most of them don't want to be, but they're caught in a cycle where they can't stop. Because, again, let me underline this and boldface it. They're addicted. Oh, ignorance knows no bounds. You can never go broke betting on the stupidity of the American people. And this guy, David Murray, definitely, definitely uh, fitting the bill. We're going to take a break and then we'll close things up. Thanks for joining us. We're back in just two minutes. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? 
consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 56 after the hour here in beautiful Legal Potland, Oregon, and here's hoping you have a great weekend. I know there'll be folks in San Francisco attending the High Times Cannabis Cup for Northern California, happening at the Cal Palace. Wish I could be there with you. I've just run out of money. I'm telling you, folks, it's not easy doing what I do. And uh, if you're one of those out there who've been supporting me over the years, I can't give you enough thanks for your regular donations through PayPal, either through subscription or the occasional donation. I appreciate it. And uh, I said earlier, if uh, if you were ever one of those 420 radio VIPs and you never got your pins or stickers, please let me know. Just email me. RadicalRuss at gmail.com. I've gone through a lot in the past four years <laughs> to uh, a, a separation and a reconciliation and a divorce and moving out of two different houses. And there's a lot I've lost track of. So if I missed you, please forgive me and know that I do appreciate you. Just send me an email, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. And again, we got big surprises coming up this summer for the Russ Belleville Show and the future of my writing. Can't tell you everything that's happening yet, but there's new frontiers yet to be explored, and I think it'll be a really good time. All right, so that's all the time we got for today and this week. Thanks for being here for show number 800. That's right, today is my 800th episode as a independent podcaster. So that means I've done 1,708 shows now. <laughs> Maybe one of these days it'll pay. <laughs> for everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.